Hey folks, great to be back with you. A lot to talk about these days, plenty. The president is back from his uh, overseas trip. And uh, on a personal note, uh, I should tell you, uh, we just celebrated, Mrs. Bennett and I just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. Um, Congratulations. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good for a guy who got married when he was uh, 78. (laughs) For a guy who got married when he was 38. Now celebrating 35th wedding anniversary. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. You know, the amazing thing to me about that is when you tell people, particularly young people, your generation, a lot of millennials, you know, been married 35 years, they go, wow. Yeah. I hadn't heard it before. Then they'll recall, oh, my grandparents, or I heard my great-grandparents were. It seems to be something that doesn't uh, happen so often. In any case, um, grateful for 35 years. And... uh, Lots of memories, lots of memories. So uh, life's a long run. Just remember that, folks. Okay, I, I want to do a couple of things. I really want to contrast sort of the attitude of uh, a lot of Europeans about uh, fighting ISIS, uh, fighting this uh, horrible uh, group, the global war against Islamist terror, as seen through the eyes of the Europeans, uh, and um, the way we see it. Or the way our uh, general sees it, or the way our particularly our Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis sees it. You know, I, I think it was the president was a, was a bracing presence. At least I hope he was. He was trying to be for the uh, members of NATO, uh, G7, and others, um, and even Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel said, "Well, we're going to have to go our own way. We're going to take our own fate in our own hands." Well, good for you, uh, Miss Merkel, because uh, it's about time. It's about time that you did that. Um, Europe is, uh, you know, on the ropes. I remember Bernard Lewis at Princeton, the great professor of uh, Islam, said uh, Europe would be Islamic uh, by the end of the 21st century. Uh, it may be. Again, I recommend that book to you, Submission by Michelle Hollenbach, H-O-L-L-E-N-B-E-C-Q. Uh, I think that's how it's spelled, uh, Submission about how France becomes totally Islamic in, in governance. It's a work of fiction, but not too far from fact. Um, they have to face facts. They have to face the fact that global warming is not the biggest uh, threat to them, but um, Islamic terrorism. Uh, take the Manchester suicide bomber as a case in point. Uh, the reactions to this from a lot of leaders in Great Britain, and even some here, is to worry about Islamophobia. Um, you know, Just keep uh, putting the emphasis in the wrong place. Uh, The worry here is not about whether citizens may react with some uh, hostility toward Muslims. Of course, that shouldn't happen. We don't (laughs) regard that as a sensible or respectable behavior. But the main priority should be to stop and prevent these sorts of things from happening again. You've heard me on candles and teddy bears. Enough, enough. But um, take a look at some of the aspects of this. First of all, this is, this is uh, my former life, student loans. I'm involved in it again these days, trying to help uh, the Trump administration address this uh, terrible student loan problem. But one thing I think I think it's not controversial to say, Chris, you tell me, I'm talking to Chris Beach. Uh, we shouldn't give student loans to people who plan to blow up the country. Is that fair? I think that's fair. The Manchester suicide bomber used taxpayer-funded student loans and benefits to bankroll his terror plot, uh, police believe. Um, he was given a lot of money, 7,000 pounds from the taxpayer-funded student loan company after beginning a business administration degree. At least he could have started a, you know, I'm a, I'm a terrorist degree. He may have received benefits from the Department for Work and Pensions. 
Um, that could be another 250 pounds a week. But he never held down a job. So it looks like um, his uh, life and his planning for this uh, bombing um, was paid for by the government of Great Britain through the student loan process. How um, ironic, uh, this government that says we are not afraid, we are four square against them, we will fight them everywhere. Uh, not so sure. Uh, and then we hear some of these predictable comments about, you know, we all have to come together, uh, the kumbaya stuff that we've been getting. <clears throat> and um, it's uh, fine to come together. It's fine for communities to uh, share their values if they're the right values. But it's important to see the blade that is aimed at your neck or the bomb filled with uh, ball bearings and uh, other cutting things uh, that's in the bag uh, placed outside the stadium. Uh, focus. Get it right. What does it mean to get it right? Uh, my friend Seth Liebson likes to say the way to show a crooked stick is to put a straight stick next to it. So with all this blah blah going on about um, how we need to be more cross-culturally sensitive and so on and be very careful and not say anything anti-Islamic, um, there's a different way of looking at the world. Uh, and I give you General James Mad Dog Mattis. He was interviewed on, I think this is from Face the Nation, is it not? Right, with John right, Dickerson. With John Dickerson. And um, just a couple of pieces here. First, this, uh, this uh, short, uh, short quote from Mattis, which has been going around a lot. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. Beautiful. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a version of what's something you guys have heard me say a thousand times. You're on offense or you're on defense. Mattis is on offense. Let's go to the longer one because this is really this really lays it out. Listen to the language and the use of language and words. Our strategy right now is to accelerate the campaign against ISIS. It is a threat to all civilized nations. And the bottom line is we are going to move in an accelerated and reinforced manner, throw them on their back foot. We have already shifted from attrition tactics where we shove them from one position to another in Iraq and Syria to annihilation tactics where we surround them. Our intention is that the foreign fighters do not survive the fight to return home uh, to North Africa, to Europe, to America, to, to Asia, to Africa. Uh, we're not going to allow them to do so. We're going to uh, stop them there and take apart the caliphate. Yeah, take apart the caliphate. Listen to that. We're going to accelerate our pace. We will be after not attrition, but annihilation. Not just moving them from one place to another, but moving them out of the picture entirely. Not attrition, but annihilation. They are a threat to civilization and the civilized nations, and they will not survive the fight. There's a certain finality uh, in what General Mattis is saying, which to me is very comforting. Take them apart. One of the things that uh, that has seemed to me always uh, present in this debate is, you know, how do you stop them? What can you do? Or do we have to, as some of the people who are seeking to uh, appease say, you know, we just have to face the fact this is part of life in modern Europe. Good Lord. No, it isn't. It can't be. Um, is, uh, you know, how do you discourage them? You discourage them by eliminating them. Uh, it has always seemed to me the case that once it becomes clear to them it is futile, futile, to oppose this overwhelming force, 
General Mattis and his allies, um, then they give it up. Then all these grand notions about the caliphate and the supremacy of uh, uh, Sharia supremacism will, I think, give way, will yield once you see how it is uh, wiped out, annihilated, defeated, um, taken apart, to use General Mattis's terms. Any uh, issues with this? Any questions? Well, Bill, I was going to just ask your take. Two things. Um, just the contrast between Mattis uh, in this administration and the Obama administration. One imagines if John Kerry or Bob Gates or someone was asked, what keeps you up at night? They'd probably say something like climate change. Um, that's just, you know, I mean, that that was their priority. Uh, in addition... Well, to be actually even more precise, you're right. But wasn't uh, didn't the Defense Department declare uh, global warming the number one security issue at one point during the Obama administration? I believe I so. Correctly. Yeah, I believe I so. so. Um, and, and the second thing, uh, the contrast uh, in, in strategy. You remember Barack Obama famously said, uh, "We're our objective." This is right before the Paris attack. The day before Paris attack, he said, "Our objective is to contain them, and we are containing them." Yeah. And now listen to the contrast with, with Mattis. I think it's crystal clear. Right? Yeah, this is not containing. This is wiping them out. This is eliminating them. This is annihilating them. Uh, and that's a, that's a very clear contrast. He also doesn't engage in the patronizing language of, you know, this is a junior varsity team and so on. Right. So, no, this, this couldn't be clearer. You know, things are happening. One gets the sense that uh, Mattis means it. Uh, and if this is what's happening on the battlefield, good. Um, the interesting thing is we here become less like the Europeans, which it seemed Barack Obama wanted to do, uh, wanted us to become more like Europe in lots of ways, healthcare as well as maybe general attitude. Uh, we are becoming America again. Uh, you know, that could have been the phrase of the Trump campaign, not make America great again, but uh, become the America that we uh, once were again. And that's um, that's very very encouraging, uh, at least uh, at least to me. So good for General Mattis. Uh, good trip home. President comes home, of course, to uh, more scandals. Uh, Kushner was talking to some Russians, maybe. Not a crime. Uh, all sorts of uh, people in all sorts of administrations have talked to Russians and talked to other people uh, before they took power. Uh, you, we remember the famous dropped microphone. Uh, Barack Obama and Mr. Medvedev, you know, once I win re-election, I'll have more flexibility to work with you guys. Uh, you know, these kind of conversations taking place before uh, being handed the scepter for another term. So uh, this stuff goes on. Uh, I would like to see the White House be more aggressive. There are rumors of a big shakeup in the White House and a war room and all that. Fine. Uh, they need to be more aggressive because the press and the liberals are not going to give up. Uh, I think somebody out there in Tea Party land, by the way, needs to start something of a movement, um, movement uh, directed toward Democrat House and Senate members. Say, okay, you want to talk about Russia? Okay, you know, mention Russia, you know, keep your inquiries on Russia. But how about, the, how about America? Uh, how about fixing some things? How about some tax reform? How about some uh, crime control? How about doing something about the opioid epidemic? Uh, how about doing something about the, this horrible student loan program? Um, how about a whole bunch of things? I mean, I think some group of citizens, Democrat, Republican, should stand up and say to the uh, Democrat members of Congress, is this the only issue you have? President seems to want to move on a bunch of fronts, but is this the only thing you have is Russia? Um, I think this would be a very good and smart uh, thing to do.
All right, it's time to turn to our weekly American Strategy Group interview. Each week, the American Strategy Group brings us an important conversation about the state of American security and the health of our republic. I'm proud to be a fellow of the American Strategy Group myself. And if you want to learn more about our work, please go to amstrategy.org or facebook.com slash amstrategy. Now this week, we continue our great conversation with Lord Conrad Black. Conrad Black is a prolific writer, historian, and thinker a former member of the House of Lords in the United Kingdom. He's the author of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Champion of Freedom, and Richard M. Nixon, A Life in Full. He speaks to us from Toronto, Canada. In today's segment, Conrad Black explains how the Democrats and the mainstream media are trying to derail the Trump agenda before it can get off the ground. He also explains how Trump can, and indeed must, counter it. Here's Conrad. It seems to me the intelligent Democrats know perfectly well they have no case to impeach the president, no chance of doing so. And it is really just an attempt to immobilize him so that when the elections come around again, they can sit yeah. there for all his noise. He hasn't done anything and, uh, and and try and get it back to business as usual the way they liked it. And, and the way to counter that, surely, as you, your question implied, is the president's got to come back from what we hope, and I hope, I'm sure most Americans hope will be a continue to be a very successful overseas trip and and say, look, the, the, this matters now in the hands of a special counsel. I, I've said what I have to say about it. I'm not commenting on it again. We'll wait for the result. Meanwhile, we've been elected to do a job. We've got to get on with it. And uh, we have to get economic growth back in this country. We have to have tax reform. We have a, a failing health system. We're not arguing anymore about how it got that way. We've got to fix it up. And, and, and just roll up his sleeves and give the impression of trying to do a good, relatively bipartisan job to enact a program and do what needs to be done. And I I think that would work. You're talking to us from Toronto? That's right. Do you have a lot of people up there or any people up there who agree with you? Uh, Yeah, I have a lot of readers. Uh, Okay, yes, you do. I publish columns up here, too, and I get get a lot of support. Uh, In terms of the Canadian media, they just take their feed from the Americans, and they don't know. In uh-huh. the media, I don't have much, but don't worry about the Canadians. Uh, they're, they're not malicious. They're just under-informed. They'll come around well. Okay. okay. The, uh, let's talk about the, the, trip, uh, the trip abroad. Uh, you think successful uh, with uh, King Salman? Should he have done more? Should he have said more? Did it do just what it was supposed to do? I, I, I think very well. I mean, I, okay. I, I, I realize whenever a Republican does well, uh, in foreign policy, the Democrats start demanding to know why he hasn't done more to promote civil rights. Sure, sure, well, sure. Yeah, that, that's fine. Civil Promoting civil rights got uh, Hamas into power, got Hezbollah into power, got the Muslim Brotherhood into power, uh, You know, brought a civil war in Yemen. I mean, uh, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is you look at If you agitate and there's regime change, will it be for the better or for worse? If, and everyone knows the House of Saud is a joint venture with the Wahhabi establishment, and everyone knows it's an oppressive regime. But uh, the alternative is not the state of Connecticut. The alternative is uh, Al-Qaeda or somebody like that. Yeah. Isn't there still kind of missing the point? Terror, of course, is uh, is, is this worldwide problem. But if you're going to talk about vetting or talk about attacking this thing at its source, it's a set of beliefs, isn't it? This isn't something... Someone wrote the other day, I think it was Andy McCarthy, that has happened to Islam. This is something that has come out of Islam. Uh, Yeah, and and Andy, of course, is always very good. But in fairness to the president, I thought he pretty much said that in his address to the Muslim leaders in Riyadh. Came close. uh, Yeah, came close. Very close. I mean, look, we can't do it. Ninety-five percent of the victims are Muslims. We know that 
Islam, for the most part, is a, is, is a great religion we can relate to. It is an Abrahamic religion and so forth. But but only you people can reform your religion, and only you people yeah. can deal with the problem of extremism within your societies. And and there, but there, the Saudis aren't strong, right? I mean, in terms of extremism. Well, and again, my understanding, I'm, I'm getting onto thin ice here, so I, 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 I better be careful, but I, I gather that they have not just because of the decline of the oil price, but for other reasons, laid off quite a bit of the assistance they were passing out through the Wahhabi educational establishment and social establishment. Right? I think that's down quite a bit. But, you know, you need one of your one of your real specialists in the area to come in on that. I think you're right. I, I guess my, my, my question more broadly is about Western democracies in general. Uh, I watched the British Prime Minister this morning make comments, and she said a lot to me like Tony Blair. Well, we will never surrender. This is cowardly. Uh, They're not winning. Well, they're not winning, but they're not really losing, it seems to me, either. Uh, They've got people in a a state of mind where, you know, panic sets in. Um, I mean, are we we really serious about this in the West? Uh, Are they serious about it in Europe? You know Europe very well. Uh, are Are we more serious about it here? Uh, a bit more serious in the U.S. Yeah, look, I, I, for okay. some reason that the uh, historians of the future will have to give some explanation for, after the West won the greatest and most bloodless strategic victory in the history of the world, where this mighty worldwide threat of Soviet communism simply mm-hmm. imploded and mm-hmm. fell like a souffle, we all <laughs> went into a torpor in place yeah. of strong yeah. leaders like Thatcher right. and Reagan. I don't want to criticize individuals, but we had relatively weak leadership. No, you're right. And, and you're right. Trump is a change from that. But uh, no, It was the greatest thing that happened in 500 years, wasn't it? I mean, maybe more. I mean, the collapse of the Soviet Empire. It was, it was amazing. And we celebrated for about two weeks and then went yeah, into but, but And never in a boastful way. I never heard yeah, any of these yeah, countries, no. the U.S. or any other, say, oh, well, we, we certainly gave it to those commies, no. didn't we? I mean, everyone said, well, with relief, that's over, but Russia's a great country, we'll deal with them and yeah. so forth. But that's right. I, I mean, it, it was it was even absorbed with great maturity for our civilization, then all of a sudden we just, we just became a, a, a civilization of idiots and couldn't do anything right. And, and, I, and, and that's what Trump ran against. Can we not prevail because we're afraid of offending somebody? I think it's a straight cycle that is ending, and, and it's not a cycle based in popular approval. If Theresa May is slipping in the polls now, it's not it's it's not because the people are soft at all. It's because they they're fearful that she's not tough enough. Um, okay. Cameron was a Cameron prom. I don't want to admire you and your listeners in British affairs, but he's no, 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 member of the British Parliament. But they, you know, Cameron promised, I quote, full on treaty change. End quote. He came back with a promise that the EU countries would, one by one, consider applications for buried treatment of migrants. And the British people said, you know, this is Shakespeare's sceptered isle. This is a great nation still, and we, that is not a treaty change. It is complete uh, effrontery to the, to the sovereignty of the people of Britain of a thousand years, and we're not having it. And they were right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, th- you said the U.S. has it a little bit writer than Europe. Does Trump have it a lot writer? A lot writer. And the Americans are an energetic people. I mean, it's a, it's a bit by, look, by European and even Canadian standards, it's a sort of fang and claw society. You know, I mean, uh, the, the safety net is a lot more porous down there. The crime rates are higher. Everyone carries a gun. It's a tough place. 
it's not just the America of Lincoln Rock or Norman, I should say, Rockwell and uh, and and uh, Walt Disney. Uh, you know it, that there's yeah. that aspect to it, but it's a tough place. And and uh, Europe and after all the terrible bloodbaths of the 20th century, or the first half of the 20th century, uh, got into this awful torpor. Uh, uh, Canada's fine. Canadians work fairly hard. But it, 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 I, I think Europe just reached a state of exhaustion and, and proceeds more slowly. And uh, But it, it'll revive. Those those states, despite their low reproduction levels, won't just be taken over by Muslims. And, uh, they and, won't? And, no, they will not. The Muslims will be assimilated just as arrivals are in other... Bernard you know, Lewis. Let me interrupt you. Bernard Lewis, you know who he is. Uh, yeah, I know him well. Uh, yeah, okay. My son's teacher. Yeah, said, he's a venerable uh, man. He's almost 100 now. Yeah, the, Bernard Lewis said that by the end of the 21st century, uh, Europe would be Islam, Islamic. Yeah, well, I, I, I know he said it, and uh, if, but my, in my experience, that's the sort of thing that says... At the present rate, the last German will die in, you know, twenty one seventeen. I mean, these yeah. rates right. don't continue. Yeah. Hey, Bill, you and I couldn't set foot out of doors out in Europe for years. Though people saying, in you know, in thirty years, the U.S. will be a non-white country. Not not that that in itself matters that much, but it just isn't true. These trends don't continue. Yeah. All right. All right. So you you have com- you have confidence. I mean, bad there. trends go. are reversed. But the Americans are energetic, and, and they are fundamentally patriotic. And I think that in, in what the president said in Riyadh and Jerusalem, he was speaking for the whole country. It was the first time I've seen anything back from that old line when we were young, uh, that, that partisanship ends at the water's edge. Yeah. Let's go back to where we started. president has oh, polls at 30 35%, 36%. Will he prevail? Will they yeah, get I him out? I saw Rasmussen this morning at 45. I, I, Is that right? I, look, okay. Yeah. I, I, 45, 55. Now, that's normally a somewhat favorable poll to him, but Gallup, for some reason, is regularly hostile. Uh, look, I, I, you can live with that. I mean, the battering he's taken in the press, some of it... You can live with that for a while. For a while. Yeah, yeah and, and all the polls show that 85% of Republicans support him. So he's holding his base. They'll give him a bit of time, but he's got to raise his game. There's no doubt about that. He's, he's, got, to, he's got to stop leaving less hanging out that the enemy to him, media, can, can, can pick up and run with and, and misrepresent. And, and he has got to try and get uh, everybody focused on, on doing the country's business while waiting for this, in my opinion, utterly nonsensical uh, defamatory fiction of collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign be, be cleared away by people of unquestionable integrity. But if, if he, he's, he must not cooperate with the democratic attempt to immobilize him. Right. All right. So um, more trouble to come from them. They will not stop, right? Even though you think he, he will prevail, this will not stop over the next four years. Oh, they'll they'll years. keep going. But Schumer yeah. and Pelosi and that awful man, Schiff, the congressman from Hollywood. I mean, the, I, I, you know, Bill, I'm, I used to own newspapers in 30 states of the U.S. Yep. And as you yep. know, have kindly said, I'm something of a historian of that country. I feel yes, I you know are. American mind a bit, and uh, they're not going to put up a bunk like this forever. Okay. All right. Good. That's a good place to end. We'll not put up with a bunk like this forever. There's a man who has no bunk in him, and that's Conrad Black. Thank you, Conrad. Thanks very Thank much you. for joining all us. Of us. All of us a delight to speak with you. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. I now have the privilege of continuing my exclusive series of interviews with Steve Wynn, Chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts and the newly elected finance chair of the Republican National Committee. 
Steve has known Donald Trump for over 30 years and is one of the best people to translate Trump. Steve, if you believe the mainstream media, and I know you don't, but if you did, you would think that Trump's agenda is already finished, wiped out, done, complete, he's out of business, and that he can't govern. But I don't think that's true at all, and here's one example. On the health care bill to repeal and replace Obamacare, Republicans were two votes short, and then Billy Long and Fred Upton went to see the president. They went in as no votes and came out as yes votes, and the bill passed. It passed the House. Is it possible that the art of the deal guy actually showed his stuff and got the deal done? I think it may be. Probably. Probably true. I, 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 I'm not a witness, uh, nor can I give you an informed answer, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, he wants uh, uh, the Wednesday night before the inauguration, uh, I was alone with him, with my wife at the Trump Hotel. He said to me, Steve, I met all the people around the country. He said, it's unbelievable. I don't care about business. I don't care about anything. I'm, if it kills me, I'm going to do this for these people. Yeah. I've got to do this. Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, we were, he was eating, finishing a steak. And he had his back in, in this banquette we were sitting in. And we were, uh, Rudy and Giuliani and his wife had been at the table and they left. And there I was alone with president-elect and my wife. And Donald turned around and said that to me. And I've known him for 32 years. And he, his eyes were, I mean, he was on oh, fire about this. He said, if, if you went around the country with me, Steve, if you had met these people, if you had seen their faces and talked to them, he said, that's why I was doing all those rallies. I just couldn't. I loved being with them. Yeah. I've got I to be successful. Yeah. And I, and I said, well, you're making me feel guilty that I've been privileged and selfish. I, I guess i got to help. Well, you, you, you've met some of those job. people. You've met some <laughs> of those people, too, Steve, when they've all come yeah. to your places over the years, those same people. It's my employees. My group is, is, is the, is the 20,000, 25,000 people that work for me. And, I know. And and they are responsible for all of my my success and and the wonderful life know, that we've I had, know. and so I'm connected to them in the way that that Donald Trump was describing to me his experiences in all the states that he visited. I'll tell you, this guy is a president of working people. Yes, I I listen. Was there a better moment? I mean, your favorite moment of the first hundred days had to be the hundredth day with, you know, the White House Correspondents Center getting stiffed <laughs> and his up there with, in Harrisburg with a group of Amer- un- yeah. indisputably Americans, regular American citizens, not he in black that. tie. Yeah, yeah. In Harrisburg. He just wants to be in the crowd with the working people. He doesn't really care about the rich folks that much because he knows he doesn't have to worry about them. Yeah. Let's and, talk about the future. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I mean, you know, I mean, that's Donald's point of view. I gotta, I gotta fix it for the working people. Those are the ones that got screwed here, and and boy, they have. Yeah. I mean, there's. It's not an opinion. It's truth. That eight years with Obama, that that debt out of control. The increasing of the money supply, which has ruined the value of the paycheck by making it worth less, caused all prices to go up to uh, to make the paychecks go, you know, come short all the time. They they felt it, and then that slam with the, with the health care bill, twenty seven hundred. I've been a health care provider for forty nine years. I called Harry. I said, Harry, 
you and I have been friends, Harry Reid, for 40, 40 years. You know what you're going to do? You're going to screw labor and management at the same time. You're ruining all the employee health yep. insurance programs. You know what he said to me, Bill? Quote, Steve, cut me some slack. I'm under pressure here. Oh, my gosh. Those were his exact words cut to me. Cut me some slack. Wow. That was the Harry. Cut me some slack, Steve. I'm under pressure here. I said, Harry, you're from Searchlight, Nevada. You're, yeah. we, we got all these people working in these hotels. This is just screwing them. Why are you doing it? Steve, yeah. I told you, I'm under pressure. Man. And at that point, I figured, what the hell is the point of talking to Harry Reid? Yeah, he's, no kidding. What a story. worthless. That's what he said to me. What a Those story. were the words. I'm, I'm repeating it on a radio program. Amazing. And, you know, you, you know, that's the kind of stuff, if you're in business, is really discouraging. Yeah, sure it is. He was a Senate majority leader from Nevada. Yeah. He knew all about the, the tens of thousands of, of working people that are housekeepers and porters and parking lot attendants. The working people that elected him. Yeah. And you know what? It didn't mean a damn thing compared to his power position with Barack Obama. That's terrible. And he promised Barack he wouldn't let any bills go to the White House that Barack didn't like. All right. Let's go back to encouraging and encouraging stories. Do you think this is true? Because this has been said since the uh, passage by the House. Obviously, more work to be done. Senate has to go to work, has to go to conference. People from the House will have to be engaged in that. But someone used the phrase uh, the other day and said, it unclogged the pipes. So now the House can get moving on to other things like tax reform uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and other matters. So you just you can now accelerate the process. More can be put in because this, whatever whatever you th you, th you thought of the importance or relative importance of the health care uh, issue. It was a campaign promise, and it had to be dealt with before other things could be dealt with. Now that at least the House has dealt with that, that part of it, this phase, it, can it move on to other things? And do you see in, say, the second 100 days an acceleration of the programs? Well, as long as we're just talking about the House of Representatives, for yes. sure. Yes, uh, They're awaiting any any return play from the Senate if Mitch McConnell can deal with this, with the health care bill up there. So the House has, has time now, and, and they've already started that work on taxes and other things, and, and some of the more legislative implications of regulatory reform. So they're, they're on that and have been on that. Those committees are at work, and uh, you'll see you'll, the House will be ready the tax matter, ironically, is a simpler one than the health care, because that's all going to be handled with majority votes in both houses uh, because of reconciliation. The question is, can Mitch McConnell uh, manage to use reconciliation to get the House bill or some version yeah. of it through his his body? Uh, and let me interrupt you. Is it is it going to be easier? Too, because you might pick up you might pick up Democrats on this tax bill, uh, both in the House and Senate. Yeah, you know what happens when the Democrats know they're going to lose, like they did with Judge Gorsuch. Then you get Howe Camp of North Dakota and Joe Manchin of West Virginia voting with the Republicans, or voting you know properly 
without regard to just power politics by the party bosses like Schumer. So if the tax bill comes from the House and it's intelligent, and it, and it will be, and Schumer can pass it with, with reconciliation with a 51-vote majority, then Democrats can say, well, uh, we're going to lose anyway. They're going to pass this bill. I might as well jump on to help me get reelected. So on taxes, you right. got that dynamic going. It's the same thing. You know, it's the Gorsuch replay. Once Mitch McConnell said, we're going with majority vote, it allowed Heil Camp and, and Manchin to jump on. Isn't it true as well that uh, there are a number of Democrats and not just one or two who think that a reduction of uh, taxes on businesses would be a very good thing for the economy? Well, if they went to school and they they have uh, a kindergarten understanding of the economy, they'd be in favor of it. Okay. But again, <laughs> you know, the ability of these people in the face of power politics from their bosses, yeah. their party bosses, yeah. allows them to ignore and behave in ways that defy any kind of logic. I mean, just yeah. listen to the rhetoric. The things that are being said are are insane. They're they're pathetically ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and this is America. I mean, I. It's shameful. It it really is amazing. To, to I was watching the TV, and I know these people, and I know them privately. Democrats, I'm talking about. Yeah. And they would never say anything like that, other than when they're on TV on politics. Oh, they're I know. Sane. Oh, they're I normal know. human beings when they get off television. Oh, I, I you know I went through. I don't this. know who they're talking to. Do they think that they can just? completely bamboozle they think there's people watching television that are morons i mean it's such an insult to the intelligence of the people uh because you wouldn't say those things if you respected the audience i couldn't agree more steve they do think the american people are dumb one of the things that i've learned traveling the country is to never underestimate the intelligence of the american people they may not pay a ton of attention but they get it okay We have to leave it there for today. Steve, it's always a pleasure. Okay, that's the show, folks. Tune in next week for another edition of The Bill Bennett Show.